Um, well, I'm primarily a sculptor, but over the last three years I've been working a lot in silkscreen prints, which does share some of the same sort of concerns in terms of layers and overlapping and hiding things, etc. And so um, I've always been very interested in painting and usually have shared studios in the earlier years with uh, next to painters and set up studios with painters. So I feel very close to, to painting. So what I've done is I've put together a few questions, five questions and possibly one other question um, to just sort of start off and I'd like it to be fairly organic and flowing and not too kind of self-conscious. And I think there'll be a little bit of time at the end for any questions. Um, so I've, I've read quite a bit the um, introduction to the catalogue um, and also been to the work here to look. And so some of the questions are loosely based on part of the text. So my first question really is that, um, you know, I was very interested in the essay and Marianne Pryor's comment that all three artists are connected to nature, um, not only in the works, but also by living part of the time in the country and part of the time in London or in an urban setting. Um, I can see in all the paintings the evidence of the country, the countryside, but I'm wondering how an urban or London environment influences or, or, or if, if you would like to talk a little bit about the differences. Um, I know in my own case, because I moved from London to the countryside five years ago, so I, I sort of have a strong sense of how it affected me. But um, maybe, Jenka, if you could just say a few words um, mm -hmm. about how you're influenced by both. Well, uh, for me it's quite new because I, I lived solid in Scotland, in the north of Scotland, in the Highlands, which is very, very remote and um, very sort of wild and for, solid for 20 years, not much coming to London. It will be three or four occasional days. And, and then, um, so I found that space very intimate and safe and um, you know because I think for an artist you need that environment where you feel totally kind of comfortable in your own sort of skin and protected where you kind of can be naked and you don't feel that somebody can just go look in and see you so that's how I felt in Scotland and when I came to London um, it's it's a completely different energy it's the excitement of the you know, energy of the big city of so much happening. And so it took me a really long time to find that balance where I, I don't feel the same um, energy in, in London as I do in Scotland of that safety and protection. So it's, it's a very different way of working. So, I mean, for example, this self-portrait, you know, all yellow, which all of you can't see, but I can. <laughs> yeah. um, this is my London studio. And it's interesting, I'm kind of retrospectively looking and thinking about it, that I, I am passing through that space. That's my London space. 
and the biggest thing is it's a maple tree outside the which for three weeks of the year is just bursts with this unbelievable yellow light and that light fills the space so I kind of I did this painting inviting the outside the country this sort of that thing but yet I'm on the past I'm going through that and, and in a way that's how I feel I guess about mm. London so in Scotland where I'm submerged sort of I'm there to absorb but in London I feel like I'm passing so I kind of bring Scotland into London mm. but I don't work with which is I gradually realize more that I don't work with the London environment in the same way does it make sense is it explaining yes yeah, so it's a processing Scotland in London and actually being in Scotland so that's, that, that's interesting because maybe Lucy you because you bring work you bring images and then work on those yeah. images and yeah. those images are very much to do with nature and environment can you just mm. also say something about yes about that? I mean I was just thinking about that in terms of the, the paintings here because they're they are uh, the images are from the the rainforest in Peru and but that all the paintings are worked on in in London so rather like you I, I, I think most of my life since I left the countryside because I came to London at, at 19 to go to art school um, and I actually was quite reluctant. At the time, I was thinking, I don't want to go to London, I want to stay in, a I want to go to Brighton or somewhere. Yeah. And I, in the end, I sort of came to a sort of pressure of, oh, you've got to go to a London art school. My mother, in particular, was pushing that. Um, so, I, so I did. And it's almost as if I've been trying to find my way back to, to, uh, to, to nature, actually, properly. And I think I had this thing, uh, I don't know whether you've heard of it, called nature deficit disorder. <laughs> there's a kind of, um, I don't know, there's a, there's a sort of a thing going on about that at the, at the moment that I actually felt quite, you know, very, very unsettled, um, uh, de-centred being, being in London, um, but never quite managing to get out of London. But I, as you rightly say, I have a house now uh, in, um, in Devon, um, in a very, you know, in a very kind of extreme remote part of Devon, you know, as remote as I could possibly find, that there was the wildest landscape I could find, that which is sort of fairly accessible to London. So it's this very rugged coast, um, north coast, the Atlantic coast, with this incredible geology. So I have this sort of a relationship between the, between the two places, um, but I don't, but I, you know, I'm still kind of tied to London. But I think for me, London is about, it's about people. So it's about those relationships with people, which are, which are tremendously important. Um, but I mean, I do find that working with, in London with imagery that I've sort of drawn in from other places, that, that does work, actually, because you can sort of, you can remember it so clearly. You can, you, can, you can be there, you can be working from an image of Scotland or the rainforest, and, and you, can really, you can really be there, but, you can really bring it in. But, it, but in the context of the paintings here, in a, in a way, it's it's there's more than that because you've actually worked or you've actually taken images in the rainforest mm. and you've brought those images back in, and then worked on them further yes, in yes. either I presume in your Devon studio or no, could be London in, studio. in London. Oh, in London. Mm. Okay. But that that is actually a very interesting thing because 
the distillation of the image. So when I am in Scotland, I'm much more inclined to work from life because I do work from life. I mean, I'll go and paint a tree. I'll, you know, I'll actually sit outside in a very mm. old-fashioned sense and paint what's in front of me. Yes. So it's accumulation of that you know, vocabulary, you kind of keep loading yourself in. But when yeah. I come to London, it's that abstraction and distillation of the image. That's where I have the space to mm. um, move into this between scene and imagine. So it's a completely different way. Mm. That's, a, that's really interesting, actually, because it's a, it's a, I think it's a, um, a similar thing for me. Because when I'm in Devon, it's, it's like... We, when I'm in Devon, I don't really paint. I, I wouldn't go into the house and paint in the house. When I'm in Devon, I want. I, I, I'm in the environment, and I do work in Devon. But I work with photography, and I work with video, and I do. There's this incredible waterfall there, um, and so I, I do that sort of work that I'm actually in the environment um, directly. And when I was in the rainforest in Peru, I didn't want to stay inside and do little drawings, and I did a few. I just wanted to be in, in there, mm. in sort of encountering, having this sort of, you know, being in the rainforest and um, absorbing it. And that's, that was kind of what I wanted to do. So being in London, it's kind of, it's where you pull everything together in a way, mm. isn't it? And then, then, then you get this other thing going on. I don't know whether you feel the same. Well, I'm interested in the backdrop of figures, whether it's landscape or an urban environment. I'm interested in structural things like verticals, and those can be found in this room. There's plenty of, you know, there's a lovely door there, there's fantastic windows out there. And it's all those kind of things that give scale in a picture, whether it's in the, in the city where you get lovely sort of receding verticals and, and windows getting smaller, or whether you're in the country, and that could be in a tree, and the trees get smaller, and that creates the illusion of space in a painting. So I'm, whether it's urban or landscape, I see the backdrop as a, a device for making scale in a picture. I think that's my simple answer. Mm, it's a good answer. Mm, spatial. Spatial, yeah. I mean, look at these receding, you know, the way your pictures are getting smaller as they recede. Mm. It's such a useful device in a painting to, to have something like that. Okay, I'm going to ask you, I've moved on, I'm, I'm switching my question order, so I'm going to ask you quite a tricky one now. Um, so, in the, in, in the um, catalogue, I think it might be you, Jenka, that talks about Philip Guston. Yeah, of course. My so, favorite. there's a quote from... Philip Guston, which says, when you're in the studio painting, there are a lot of people in there with you, your teachers, friends, painters from history, critics, and one by one they walk out. And if you're really painting, you walk out. Can you say, um, how, do you, how do you find a way to walk out? Because we're all influenced and, you know, by everything around us and often to actually make new work to make great work you have to almost forget all that and try and do something completely different so just i know it's a tricky question but is there some way that you feel that you because because in a way you know how we get habits that that tend to sort of direct works and things like that mm. so 
Can you talk a little bit about about that? Yeah. Um, do, do well, the first thing that comes to mind actually is um, uh, there's, a, there's a quote at the end of the article, um, which is, I think it's from you, in fact, and I can't remember it exactly, but it's, it's something like, um, something like you need to stay in love with the oh, paint. Yes. Stay in love with, it's, it's really love, love, the, love the paint. In love the paint, love the paint. Yeah. and then trust the unconscious. Mm. Um, just, I don't know if it's not trust the unconscious, but it's something about just sort of having this, this, this sort of trust or this belief that what, what's going to go on is, is going to be all right. So then that, I suppose that, that brings it into a very sort of a personal yes. sphere. It's important to love the pain and let the unconscious speak. Yes. Yes, exactly. So, so then it becomes quite a personal thing. And at that point you, you, you can... Uh, lose quite a lot, although those influences aren't intimidating you anymore, if you, if you see what I mean. Yeah, but how do you get there? What's your process? Uh, I don't, see, I, I, I don't really think of myself, I suppose my influence is nature, that, that is my number one. I mean, of course, I'm influenced by other artists, but, um, but I'm, I'm always looking at nature, that, that's, that's my Just, thing. I, I'm conscious of the, the, that I had a teacher, a, a sculptor called Bill Tucker, when I was a student, he said to me, um, don't make sculpture, make something. And I, was, and I remembered it always because mm. I can teach anybody how to make sculpture. You know, it can look like a sculpture, it can look like art. But to make great art is something quite different. You have to, you have to almost not be making art to make great art. Mm. You know, so yeah. that's, that's what interests me about you know, when, when, you walk, when you walk out the door, that's when all of that stuff is... Sometimes know. it's really nice to use old canvases because they've already got a story and some texture and some colour which you can accidentally then can lead somewhere. Yeah. I, I think that's that you good. can listen to things happen um, from an old canvas. I think also there's that sense of preciousness sometimes that you have with your work and you think there's something great happening in a work and then six months later you see it for what it is and actually can be quite ruthless with it because it, you're not precious about it anymore because you know it's not very good. Mm. Um, some artists have done things like, you know, I know that Howard Hodgkin or, or, um, or Tony Caro used to put sculptures underneath a bench and cover mm. them up and bring them out six months later so that they could see them almost afresh, mm. which I think is another interesting mm. way of mm. trying to get around that problem. There is a science, um, which I, I can't remember the name, there's a word for it, it's, it's philadophia or whatever, I can't remember the word, but it's, you know, that when you look in the clouds, we all look in the clouds or stains on the floor, and all of us will see a different image or a different thing it creates, you will see a profile and I'll see a horse and I'll, you know, etc. And this is sort of, in a way, in my own work, I quite often, if I just put, hang the canvas, white canvas, grey, whatever, I'll sit for a while and I just imagine things. I start imagining. And then if you look at it for a long time, you know, it's, it's, that's what's so interesting for me, that it's a combination between projecting your subconscious 
but then at the same time allowing things to come through mm. and waiting, you know, to establish Listening. that communication, isn't it? Mm. So, and of course, you will be driven, you know, by one thing and I will be driven by nothing. And that's what I feel that your own individual thing will come out. You know, you just have For to... For me, be. it's like having to be learning how, how to look the other way so that you know, you have to you learn things to from the side of put the a kind of yeah. energy or a, or you know an accident or something that happens in the work. So oh, you're, yes. you're kind of yes. looking over yes. there, but working over yes. here. And it's the same for painters, sculptors, whatever. You yes. you have to sort of incorporate those things into the work. Accidental things, accidentally are deliberate are the best. Yes, yes, yes. So it's like art, you know, when he would, you know, when he would say, okay. I'm making art now, letting go. Yeah. Whatever happened on the floor, did he make it or yes. did the accident made it? You know, so that is that balance in between. Mm. I'll ask you oh. another question. Um, so all the paintings use imagery. Um, there are recurring images in um, Susanna's work and, and your work in particular. Um, can you say something about what your that starting point, what, how you approach? You know, so, so we, you know, there are ideas in your head. You've worked on other paintings. You've had an exhibition. You move from one work to another. What's the what? What when you start the next painting? What's going through your head? What's um, what's happening? Well, these pictures actually began twenty years ago and I'd been living in New York, and I went to a production of Richard II at the Brooklyn Academy of Music. And for the first time, I started noticing the... I'd always been interested in geometry in painting, and I did a whole series of pictures of bicycles because I love the triangles. When you see somebody bicycling, it makes an equilateral triangle, and I find that visually very compelling. But on the stage, you often see somebody might be kneeling down and and somebody might be standing up, and it's a visual, it's a visual geometry that the ancient Egyptians understood the beauty of triangles, and you see that dynamic happening so often on the stage. In fact, you see it walking down the street all the time, the way people are interacting. But there's something particularly compelling about a standing figure and something on the ground. In fact, you see it when, you, when someone's walking their dog, and I love that thing, when you get the standing figure, then you get the lead, and then you get the dog. And look at the, look at the, the triangle that is made in that image. So I, I, basically these pictures then grew out of all the bicycle pictures, and it's, a, it's, it's just an enjoyment of, of geometry and finding different manifestations of that. But in particular, when you actually, you, you're, you're in the studio and you're faced with canvas or, or what, what, I'm more, you know, I'm kind of very interested yeah. in what's that stage, what's, yeah. the, what's the first stage or, or does it go through, do you, are you sort of Millions looking away and doing anything until it gets to the point where you can actually do something with that or, you know, I'm there, just. There's a lot of. Um, moving the image around within the rectangle because if you think you've got your rectangle where do you put that tri let's say you've identified that triangular relationship where do you place that in the rectangle 
And then you have a choice. Do you make it a landscape rectangle or a portrait rectangle? And all those decisions have to happen. And so I will have many, many, many incarnations of each of these pictures where I try and... On separate, on separate characters? Yes, or lots or of little separate? ones. So do you draw, do you, do you sort of sketch this out? Um, yes, yes, a bit. I do a bit of everything, anything. I play around with, you know, might be a bottle and then something next to it, just to, mm. just to see these, how to reconcile that, that triangle <clears throat> within a rectangle. It's, oh. it's a very strange way to spend your time. <laughs> it's funny, I haven't seen the triangles in your work. I shall, I shall be looking well, for them now. Um, yeah, well. It's quite interesting because for me it's completely, you know, it's not a formal. So I, mm. I'm, all of that will come in much later because I, I think painting for me is a kind of a magical thing. You know, it's a very mysterious and it's something which is it's not my words but you know again Philip Guston who I absolutely adore you know he he says that painting lives on a different plane so in my own work I imagine that what you look at is not really what you look at it's it sort of doesn't really matter terribly it's what you experiencing so it's a lot to do with really emotional and it's interesting because today, weirdly enough, I was watching a, a video, I mean, on YouTube, a, a lecture by a psychiatrist, Mr. Ridley, who was talking about the condition of ADHD, you know, okay. the hyperactive mm -hmm. And he was describing how our brain can recall, so we're the only species on the planet Earth who could you know, you hold on to an image to evoke a mm -hmm. feeling mm -hmm. and memory, mm -hmm. right? So no any other animals. And I thought, God, that's fascinating. Mm -hmm. Because in a way, that's what I'm doing. I, not, you know, when he said it, I thought, God, this is perfect. Yes. Because this, you know, so I am blindly, but I know when it's right. I know it's, it's in there. And so I'm kind of doing different things. I'm spilling, I'm moving, I'm scratching, I'm putting it outside, I'm checking it upside down, you know, I'm doing all sorts of things to the canvas until I'm going, okay, it's there. Do you sort of, is there a sort of a moment of recognition? Yes. With it and then you think, oh yes, that's it. And sometimes this moment doesn't come. Mm. And sometimes <laughs> I'm thinking, I kind of like it for other reasons, and I'm thinking, is that fair? Do yeah. I destroy it? You know, so this process, I mean, it's really ongoing, endless. I mean, I'm sure there's some painters in this room, and some of you might know what I'm talking about, but it, it, it never leaves you, you know, and then you, like you say, the corner of your eye, because I live in my studio, so this work is just, you know, suddenly look at me go, oh! God, I know. So you go and do it, and then you go, oh, why did I do this? And so, but sometimes it's just like it's there. I've talked. I've talked to painters who have had to more or less. So, so they've been working on a painting, and there's so much about it that they love, mm. but there's something wrong with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. And it's actually one tiny bit that's mm. right. And 90% of it is wrong. Mm. So you have to get rid of that 90% exactly. in order to 
capture what it is that's good about the picture. And you end up destroying half of it, you know. Well, just, oh, you must. must. But you that's the magic, isn't it? That's so, like, so it's like the Picasso quote, that it's a, it's a, I can't what it is, it's a history of destruction in a way, mm. with a painting, so it might be just just almost almost there, but there's, it's just not there's something quite wrong. And you know that, it, you, I love this part of the painting, these beautiful runs here, but they've got to go. Mm. You know, so, so then there's all this loss involved in it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, I, I, I was I was thinking about the the layering in yeah. in, in, in all, all of your works, really. Mm. And I know that when I do when I'm working on these silkscreen prints, so I go for three days to work with these guys in Cambridge. And it, it's strange because the first day is almost it, it could almost be anything. We're using screens, we're using images, we're putting them down. But I'm conscious of the fact that that is a kind of backdrop. It's, and the second day becomes more. And then the third day, usually, mm. everything starts to come together. Mm. And I'm wondering whether in the paintings, you know, that you have this, even if it's a sort of subconscious thing of creating layers, creating backdrop that you know isn't the painting, but that will, will set up a kind of mm. interaction with what you might do then, you know, in the painting. Well, there's, there's, um, there's, I think it's John Hoyland. Um, he, he sort of said that you know, if if you get the, the the first stage right, then you're kind of on the way. You know, so it sounds like your screen printing process. So you you have the starting point, and then you have the next bit, and then you have the next bit. But for me, it's not like that. No. And that 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 would be great. You know, it's <laughs> be so nice if there was a bit of more of a formula than, than there is, but there so mm. isn't. You, you know, you sort of wish for one in yes, a way. Yes. Oh, if only. Mm. Um, but so no, don't wish for that. I mean, there's so many artists no, but who have formulas, so nice that that's a bit deadly. Easier. No, that's yeah. absolutely, I just don't, you know, you, then you're in a corridor. I think that's what yeah. the most wonderful thing. Somebody said to Philip Garston when he was on his 80s birthday and he had this amazing, you know, it's, it's actually a, a, a documentary. We, and if any artists here haven't seen it, you should watch it. I think it's called. Um, oh, no, I remember what it's called. Anyway, it's his last documentary he made. And somebody asked him in the audience a question, you know, Mr. Oh. Gaston, you know, uh -huh. you used to paint abstract, he was a very well-known American expressionist, and then he suddenly, age 55, you know, he suddenly switched painting all those bizarre, almost cartoon characters, Kupfer's clan, etc. And then they said, well, are you going to carry on changing your styles? What about your style? And he said, who cares about style? I just have to keep myself awake and alive and entertained, you know. It's, that is really, mm. by the end of the day, as long as you are... But it's an interesting thing that start that point of when something becomes an artist's style, because you see it with, um, you know, an artist like Howard Hodgkin, who mm. worked for years and years and years and often spent you know, 15, 20 years working on one painting. And then the final part of the painting, you know, could just be a few brush marks. But that painting is kind of what's what's beneath that mm. has taken all that time, and it's sort mm. of been kind of you know brewing up all this time. But then later on, Hodgkin knows how to make a Hodgkin. So yeah. then you yeah. destroy that point at which an artist, you know, the, the really interesting point when you change work, and, it can, and it's really hard for it to happen over and over again, is where something, where you're in a total mess, but excited and 
you know, something is right on the edge of, mm. of, of, some, of something you don't know about, you know. Well, that's it, isn't it? There always has to be that space of the unknown. So you just can't do without, you, you, you know, you can, you can never go down that formulaic way, otherwise, what are you doing? Why yeah, but this is a different, absolutely different question. You know, you're talking about the recognition and commercialising, you know, putting yourself into a sense of a brand where, which the whole art world, and we spoke about it. No, because it, no, Jackie, because it goes back as well to that thing of whether you're, that, that, that thing that I told you about Bill Tucker where he said don't make a sculpture. Mm. And it comes back to the thing of if you're, if you're making art, then sometimes you're not making art, you're just making art that looks like art. And that, I think, mm -hmm. is the point at which when an artist gets to a certain stage. And galleries often love it because, you know, once you've got that style, they can commercialise it and sell it. So artists have to always be really careful about how they keep on that edge of mm -hmm. change. Mm -hmm. and, and you do it all the time. I mean, you're, you're shifting from here, 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 here. You're all over the place. Thanks. I don't mean in a bad way. <laughs> you know. Well, I went actually yesterday, I went to see Sicket exhibition. And the first room, it was really interesting for me, the first room, I don't know, have you, any of you gone yes. to see it? And he's, it's his self-portraits. So he started, as you all know, as, a, as an actor. And so he is shape-shifter. He's literally in one room. He paints, I don't know, six paintings, and they all are completely different. And and it's all him at the same time and all of them you can see that and I thought gosh maybe I'm meant to be an actress I don't know <laughs> shape shift and... give it a go why not anyway it was really amazing I, I, I adored the show I, I, I went with little expectations and um, I thought it was great I think this whole limitation about having to I don't know. I mean, it, it is my blessing and a curse, you know. I feel, you know, overtrained, you know, that probably I was trained in, in Moscow. Yeah, I can draw, I can whatever, do most of the thing. I mean, it sounds, but it's a curse, you know. So, but I, I don't see it when I'm making my work. I don't, I'm not having out of body experience floating about me going, Bronskaya, you're doing at the moment this style, or yes, you moved into this, or you moved into this. I'm just making and doing what I am in the moment at the time, and only when, you know, time passes by, I'm thinking, oh God, yeah, that looks like this, or that looks like this, or, you know, I don't know about it as I'm doing it. No. I have no control of saying to myself when I I was approached by Tom Hullett you know years and years ago at the, you know the um, Portland Gallery who said I want to give you a show and I was like of course I'm so excited my god and um, he said I want 50 paintings like this oh. you've chosen a painting he said I want it like this and I went no problem so off I went to Scotland sat in my little studio desperately trying to make 50 paintings like this and my paintings just turned into mud and I, yeah, by work. the week three mm. I just couldn't paint mm. and it was I remember that it was before Christmas I had to ring him and say thank you but no and I put down the phone and cried for about 20 minutes and then I felt phew it felt completely I could go back and paint but I don't know how to do it just 
don't know how to do it. Yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't work, does it, when, no. when you... Mm. No. Okay, I have a tricky one for you then. Oh. Clement Greenberg said, if you want to change your art, change your habits. Which, which habits would you change, or would you like to change, or are you aware of as being habits in your work? Well, habits in your work specifically, not, not, just, not just day-to-day habits. Okay. No, in the sense that, you know, we, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we, we use certain things in our work. We, we, there are ingredients that we always, you know, that we put in, and that, mm. and that sometimes... Sometimes to, 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 to make art, you probably have to get rid of a lot of that. Uh, because the much. habits become... So that would be yours? Thinking too much. Think, yes. Overthinking, yes. yes. Yes, get rid mm-hmm. of the brain. Just, as, as you said, you just, you've, learnt, you've learnt the language. You've then got to get rid of it. Mm. That's right. So, yeah. that you, so that you have a more direct, um, so that you're, you're the, take the ego out of it, take the knowledge out of it, mm. and, let, and let the story be told. Mm-hmm. It's the hardest thing to do. Yeah. Um, so the brain gets in the way. So how do you break that habit? I don't know. Any ideas? <laughs> well, I think, I think, I think with, for me, with because the, with the, I have that as, as well a bit, I think, um, the, you know, the mind just racketing mm. on and doing all its, all its stuff. Um, but I personally, I find that the engagement with the materials, it's, it, it silences the brain. Do, nice. do you find well, that? Well, maybe let the paint speak. Yes, the, pa- the paint That's speaks. That's what I so once, probably trying to say. Exactly. So yeah. once you're sort of involved in that kind of, you know, that reality of the... The, 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 the sensuous. The, the med- yes, the sensuous, mm. the media, the, the, the colours touching, the, the water mm. and the capillary yeah. action, all these things. Sure. Then it's, it's sort of operating on a different level, yeah. isn't it? It's yes. not that the mind. It's, it's a sort of... I don't know, it's, it's not exactly dreamlike either, but it's a different level of intelligence. So it's like a sensorial yeah. intelligence. It's, it's not a... And I find that, that, that you, I have to get there um, mm. for, for things to happen. Um, but that's getting there. What's the, the habit that you're conscious of that... Oh, a habit, yes. ...is kind of affecting the work from being, you know, sometimes what you want it to be. It's, well, it's my, getting in the way. But then, yes, yeah, so if there's a bad habit for me, it would be, it would be getting too much into uh, detail. Um, so I think I'll go there. Oh, I, I love that. That's, that's going to work. I'm going to just do this. And I get, get, get started. Mm-hmm. And then you have to sort of step back and go, you know, for, from the, from the minuscule to the, to the, from the general to the, from, from the particular to the general again. Mm-hmm. So I, I find I get too much into to detail and I have to move away from that. But I don't know how I'd sort of decide to do that, in a way, in the answer to your question. I'm not sure well, be it by being aware that you do it. I suppose, yes, being is aware. A, is, a, is a step. Yes, yes. Which you are, you are aware. Yeah, yeah, and cause, I mean, I've, I've actually done this sort of thing where, you know, you're sort of worried about how drawing looks. Um, so I'm sort of drawing some plants and I was worried, okay, I, I want it to look a certain way. I was saying, no, 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 it's, it's about, it's about the immediacy of the process, it's about the immediacy of the looking and what's happening, what's coming through. So I was doing the drawing and I was thinking, oh, what's it look like? Is it going to be good? You know. So I mean, I, I had this sort of sequence where I did these drawings and I never actually looked at them at all to get away from that. I actually tore them up before I even saw them to try and contest that, you know, that sort of feeling of it's got to look a certain way. 
Um, so I'm not sure if that's exactly it, but mm. yeah, things like that. Sure. Getting away from certain kinds of expectations, but is it looking right or is it looking good or whatever? And letting something else that you want to come, you know, what you wanted to be doing, come through, I think. Well, I know what it is. I just, um, I, I have to, the, the discipline to stop when I, knew I you were set, going to say that. I'm going to stop. And I have a solution. Really? Yeah. You just have to get someone to come to the studio <laughs> well, I used during to. the night and take <laughs> the paintings away when they're what you call half finished. <laughs> I, I used to have a, a dear friend, John Mackenzie, back in Scotland. He used to come towards the end of my, because obviously with small children, I had to stop before I go, you know, they come back from school. He used to come just before and take the painting away. I mean, literally, he used to come and take the painting yeah. away. And blessing, I mean, he's, he's um, sadly, he's no longer with us, but, but yes, for me, it's that discipline to stop. My, my biggest mistrust is, is definitely ideas. Mm -hmm. They don't work. Mm -mm. Um, and so I think that I have these fantastic ideas in sculpture. And as soon as I start it, and, and I stand back, because I always make sculpture in front of, you know, I don't send them off to be made. I make them, so... Soon as, soon as I stand back, it's like, no. So you set off with one idea, mm. and just in your head, don't, you can never trust your head, because it's no, telling you all the wrong things. No, absolutely not. It's uh, totally true. I mean, the best paintings I made, the really brilliant, amazing paintings I've made, they're here. Because <laughs> 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 the moment you try them on, it's like, oh my God, there's <laughs> no way. Yeah. Well, I spoke to the three artists at the weekend, and I said, "Well, perhaps you know, um, you could you could come up with what question you would ask yourself." Um, and so um, maybe you could say what what that was. Well, I, I the one that just immediately popped into my mind, which is actually a really difficult one, um, but I thought that's what came out. So I thought, okay, maybe something like that, which is. What part does beauty, what part does beauty play in the work, both in the looking and in the making, and how, how does how does that work? Um, so that was my that was my question to myself, and the answer is um, because I don't know about how, how you know what, what you know about the sort of the art world, but beauty is quite an unfashionable mm -hmm. uh, kind of uh, concept at the, at the moment. Um, or maybe not so much now, but it, cer it certainly has been. It's been something that's been very much avoided and, and kind of trivialised. And um, it, it's sort of, I'm not sure where it goes back to, but there is a, a Barnett Newman quote in 1968 where he says something along the lines of um, painting used to be about pursuing beauty, but that for me is meaningless. And now we know that the world is not beautiful, then we don't need to do that anymore. It was kind of like this decision, it was sort of after, after the Second World War, there's that Adorno quote about uh, you can't do poetry after Auschwitz, you know, all that sort of thing. So you've got to get rid of this idea of beauty, and this idea of beauty is it's bourgeois, um, and it's um, retrograde, and um, it, it's all those things. So, so, that, so that very much in the art world, there's a sort of feeling of, ah, you can't, you can't. And I mean, I've, I've had that in my research, because I'm doing a research degree, and in various of my supervisors, and they sort of say, 
Uh, and we do not pursue beauty in our work. We do, you know, it's, it's actually sort of quite taboo. Um, but but is, that, is that something to do with that if you set out or try to set out to make something beautiful, there's a difference between something being beautiful? You know, I'm, I'm making, when I moved to the countryside, I, I, my sculpture changed hugely. And so mm. from being very sort of geometric, angular, architectural, it became very organic. And mm. some people have said to me, they're very beautiful. Yeah, I don't yeah, set yeah. out to make them beautiful. They no, just, they just so. end up. I don't think sometimes so. Sometimes being like that. I mean, for me, it's it's um, it's it's something that's sort of hugely important to me. And I don't think that it's it's not just about how a, a thing looks aesthetically. I'm not sort of trying to make something look nice aesthetically. I think it's much more than that. I think it's much deeper. Um, and I think it's for me, it sort of relates to my relationship with the with the, nat the natural world. So that when you're in the natural, you know, you're in a kind of a wild space there, there is this experience sometimes of, of, of powerful beauty and I don't think oh well, that's just that's a pretty thing I think it's more than that I think it, it's something about you know being in that place there's there's almost like a sort of an encompassing energy that you're part of you know that, that you're, you're part of this kind of field um, this sort of almost energy field of, of everything that's sort of go all the ecology and that, that something about beauty is, is, it's almost like an energy and that, that it's, it's when you see something that's beautiful it, it, it's sort of there's something that's being communicated almost and so it's like a to, toing and froing of that and so when I'm working with it in my work you know it, it, it just becomes sort of a, a live thing I mean you know you're sort of you're dealing with this colour against that colour and then it kind of does that and you're, you're you know you're, you're pulled towards that but why are you pulled towards that you know I, I feel like there's a there's a quite a deep language, this is quite a deep thing going on, um, which I don't really under understand, but I think there's, you know, why do we experience beauty? It's not just, oh, humans sort of have this response. I think there's something, there's something more going on, which is, you know, it's, it's, it's like something reciprocal, perhaps, between you and, and where you are, you know, um, in, in nature. So I think that's, that's how it is for me. So... When my paintings are, are working, I'm not sort of thinking, are they beautiful or not? But it's something about, is there a poetic? Do I, does, does it, you know, does it reach a kind of a poetic? I think something like that. Um, I don't know, I mean, I could go on about that, but I don't know if anybody else has any sort of feelings about it. Did you have any, any, did you think about that? The question I, I was considering, I suppose, was that when Vivian came to the studio and she saw these pictures that I'd started 20 years ago, and it was a question, I think you said to me, Vivian, are they, are they, are they finished? And um, it raised such an interesting question because the gestation of 20 years, you know, how do you revisit a painting that's, that you began 20 years ago? But I, I tre with trepidation, I did, I did revisit them and because I, I was so afraid that I would change them completely and then destroy the original Impulse. Did you did you think they weren't finished? Um, I felt that there was there were I felt there was some a bit like a sort of the needing to cross the T's in a in a when you're writing a a letter you know you just they 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 just a little bit un unresolved. Because there's an interesting thing of you know when something started twenty years ago, and you and you now look at it and think, do I want to add something from <coughs> where I am now? You know how yes. I'm thinking now. Yes. Which, is, which is different. And if paintings, because often paintings are finished and they're left, 
-hmm. With paintings that, like you're describing, they seem to have sort of sat there and in this sort of middle area of not yeah. finished, but maybe, but could move on. It's, in, it's interesting because I, I talked to a sculptor, Bill Tucker, who said, oh, I want to make these sculptures that I remember making in the 1960s, but it, they were destroyed or they were never finished. And he said, um, I'm thinking of remaking them how I think of them now. And I thought it was a really interesting mm. way of working, because mm. artists tend not to go mm. backwards. No. You, know, you tend not to go back you to areas to. of your work that you had before. Yeah, I, I can't mm. imagine. I mean, I do work on old canvases, and the only reason I will, you know, you pull out an old canvas and you think, oh, it, you, you, you can't travel back to whatever you was doing then, but you can see it as a new material to work with now because everything is different. So the moment we were talking about it earlier on, because if you, you know, I, I, I teach and actually there's one student here is, you know, I always say if you like one area, if you think, well, this is really successful, you start dancing around it and mm -hmm. you become paralyzed. You're willingly mm -hmm. putting mm -hmm. handcuffs on yourself. You can't paint anymore, really freely, because you're so worried that you're going to destroy that yes. and everything else is not real anymore it's like this kind of what I call sort of like almost sort of masturbation you're sort of running around it and you're not really doing the real thing and so for me it's the only way you have to accept that whatever you're looking at is, is, is not what you know you, you take it as a new beginning you, you have to kind of go well you know full pelt Mm. You can't dance around it. You just have to make something completely new and different. That's why it. I find that quite often working on old canvases is, can be really successful because at, at, at the time, originally when I was working on them, I might be obsessed by a certain bit. Mm. And I've kept sort of, oh, it's not working because of that. Oh, it's not working. You know, I think, well, the pain of that particular bit, you know, I can't see it as a whole. So then you leave it for six months and you come back and the thing is, is, becomes a whole thing. Mm. and you've lost that kind of connection and then you can sort of do something more more general and more liberated yeah and then, yeah and it can work but my question to me you know i was thinking about it as well i i would love i mean i don't know if it's a question but it's sort of an urgent request i wish i could very similar to you susanna i could get rid of that critic that voice that mm horrendous judgmental person who you know doesn't allow <laughs> um, things to come directly through and I think it's it is it is it's a you know you you might the way I say it may just not actually have the weight but if you imagine just that you can directly paint and Philip Gustin, again, he used to do that. He used to come to a huge canvas. He would paint without stepping back. Because what we do, we put one mark and then we step back and we go, mm, destroy, back, another mark, mm, destroy. And so you, all you do, one hand is making, another destroying. And then he used to come in and just paint, 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 paint. Then turn around, walk out of the studio, not looking, oh, yeah. and only return the next day. To look, so you don't have that an instant distraction mm -hmm. at yourself. Mm -hmm. So, 
I'd like is, you know, when um, de Kooning, when he got Alzheimer's, so he would just go and paint, you know, everything was just flowing out without, I mean, not that I want Alzheimer's, no, I don't want that, I just hope it can happen. I want it to happen in that non-filter, mm. that judgment voice to go away. I mean, is there, is there sort of, you know, in, in your head, is that this, a painting should take so long, otherwise it might not be very good. You know, you know, you know what I mean? It's like, it, it could, you know, you have a Picasso that he could do in like three brush jobs. In your mind, sometimes, is it like, well, that's, that's not enough. Yeah, but all that God, you know, because I'm thinking of myself, I mean, you, you know me for so long, you, you know, I used to complete the painting very quickly. You know, I mean, I paint fast. I mean, I do paint fast. Anything, you know, light, whatever. But older I get, that voice is so annoying. <laughs> it makes me paint for a very long time. So maybe because that judgment is keep saying, it's not good enough. It's but you're aware of it, so... I, I know, but I don't know how to change it. Mm. Mm. I just... Everybody has that. I mean, it's, yeah, it's... I look at some of my older work and I'm thinking, God, didn't stop me stopping here. It looks fine. You know, it looks fresh. It looks good. Why don't I just stop now? I mean, I've got an example of that, actually, which is... uh, Somebody came to my studio once in sort of, I don't know, 1990-something or other, and she came in and she said, I'm buying that painting. And it wasn't even finished. I mean, it was something that was in the... You know, it's in the middle of, in the middle of. I thought, what do you mean, oh, you can't have that? Then she said, oh, I want that. So, so, okay. So I gave it to her. She bought it. And now it's in her house and I go and see it. And it's, it's really wonderful painting. And it's completely kind of resolved. Mm. And if I'd have left it and carried on, I probably would have, I don't know what I would have done to it, but I might have messed it up. I don't know. But um, that, that's so interesting, you know, isn't it? That, that sometimes you, you can't see the thing can't see the thing as, as a whole because you're the judge the judgment thing is coming to you. Yeah, the judge, look, look at judge. that that's not right no, no it can't be so maybe at this point i don't know if anyone has any in the audience anyone has any questions It's like a bit of a heart of light sometimes, in some of them, not all of them, I think. Yes, but yes, in three of those, there, there is that heart of, mm. heart of light. But in answer to your first question, I, I don't think of them as a, as a series when I'm working on them. I think of them as individuals, completely, which is why it's interesting seeing them one after the other, and then the two upstairs as well, the, because, it's, because they do have a, a narrative, don't they, going from one to the next to the next. But I don't really think of it like that when I'm... You know, each each is its own kind of thing um, when I'm when I'm working on it. Do, do, does anyone of you listen to music when you work? And if so, 
just influence what you make? Good yeah. question. Well, I'm sure. I listen to the music all the time, yeah. In the afternoons, I allow a little, Ooh. a little bark or handle. I can't go in the studio unless I put music on. I can't work without music. What sort of music? Mm -hmm. What sort of music? Could be anything, but mainly op opera. opera. Oh. Um, but I have to, I have to listen to music. Really? Yeah, and um, I remember when I first started making sculpture, or before I really started making sculpture properly, I went to Tony Caro's studio in London, and um, in a it's a huge space, and on and in the walls above there were speakers, and he was playing chamber music, and there was these enormous sculptures going, and I thought that's what I want. I want to make big things like that and listen to music all day long. So I can't work without it. But some I know, lots of artists, oh, they hate it. I don't work with music at all. I mean, I used to, at one point I did, it's true, but now I don't. I think partly because, the, you know, actually when I'm doing the, the painting, I, I wouldn't hear it anyway. You, you sort of cut it out, you know, you sort of... So I, I, I don't. I play it over and over when I'm working on one piece. I play the same music over and over again mm. and I drive my assistants absolutely crazy <laughs> because it could go on days and days mm. and days. Mm. Same thing over because it's to do with there's something about the piece of music that relates to the work at that point. That's why they all leave. <laughs> <laughs> well, but they probably don't like opera that much. <laughs> Actually, you say that, but, you know... Hey, I've educated quite a few people. <laughs> They're no longer with you. <laughs> Do we have any more questions? line in Richard II, let us sit upon the ground and tell sad stories of the death of kings. And it was, and there was Richard II on the ground with somebody sort of standing next to him, I don't know, pointing at him or something. And it was that, it was that dynamic. So that, it, I think it did grow out of that. But there also there were a lot of, a lot of emotional things in that play that were, that were very um, striking for me particularly at that time. So it's always a balance between the geometry and the composition and the narrative and the emotional content of the picture. So I, I suppose earlier I spoke about geometry as though that was the only thing that mattered. But the geometry is there to serve the story. And, and I think painting is theatrical as well. I think the fact that it shares in common with theatre four, mm -hmm. four walls mm -hmm. And everything you view through that rectangle is, is a sort of theatrical thing. So Yes, it does have a narrative, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that And do you think yeah. about the Trinity? I mean Yes, well I yes, I mean I'm obsessed with triangles, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but so sort of trinities of people as well, three um, sons, three three yes, people, three. Yes, yes, yes. Anything to do with geometry of you know, just beautiful things like people even if somebody's on their phone, right, you get the most beautiful triangle from the shoulder to the elbow to the wrist. Mm. It's a very simple geometric shape, and you see it everywhere. 
and I'm always sort of staring at someone. And and actually, I'm just looking at the, the, the shapes <laughs> that their, their arms are making. But why, why don't you, for example, um, you know, it makes me think of Paul Clay, who um, reduced the visual world into geometrical mm-hmm. squares and triangles. Yes. And, I mean, there's plenty, and, and he literally, or even Mondrian, mm-hmm. you know, who had a whole very complex yeah. theory about verticals and horizontals and, you know, he went through the whole period of saying there is no single diagonal line, it's only going to be vertical and horizontal, etc. So why would you not reduce the visual mm. world to your beloved triangle? It why might, don't you it just might ha- It might yet happen, you know, oh, to okay. distill oh. things into... I mean, the ancient Egyptians did it. You know, they, they understood the purity and the simplicity of, of the human figure Look at those pitch, those wall paintings. They're all telling stories, yep. and th- they're telling the stories through the geometry of the human figure, and and that's as well as telling the story, they're also decorating the tomb or whatever it is, and it's this beautiful fusion of narrative and and visual decoration. Mm. No, but they create mm. symbols, so it's it's symbolic. So they created an alphabet. Yes, of yes. stories, so yes. that's kind of almost another realm, the whole new level, devout of any emotional thing. It's like, here's the lettering, and then mm. you can make your own words. Yeah. So but, what, but what I noticed in your pictures was that you, you know, when you, I noticed that straight away, I mean, obviously the, 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 the angles, the triangles, the shapes, the, but what you very, what you did was that all of the paint around those emphasize that so i found that really interesting that you can use a very painterly kind of approach around something that is quite still painterly but geometric Mm -hmm. or in a different kind of way but that everything surrounding it enhances that it's as if it you know it's it's trapping it but it's also Mm -hmm. surrounding it do you Mm -hmm. you know what i mean Mm -hmm. all the all the movements all the sort of Paint marks in, in on on the surface around it are are, are making that more evident. That's how I felt. Yeah. I'm just enjoying the, the triangle of Eugenie's um, <laughs> the elbow to, to see. I mean, look how beautiful that is. I mean, it's just it's just <laughs> and it's and it's so lovely because it's it's her head. The the tilt of her head is supported by that angle. And then you get the shape between. So, look at that shape. I mean, I've got a question. I'm not moving. But would you? (laughs) But would you paint just the shape, or would you need my arm and my head? I mean, that—that's my question. Is really. I could certainly think about just painting that incredibly beautiful shape inside that Mm -hmm, triangle. mm -hmm. And additionally, what's what's adding to this drama for me at this angle is the vertical of the window behind you. Because the diagonal of your of your that bit of the arm is is making a most beautiful forty five degree angle against that vertical. Have I ruined it now? Sorry, Sorry. 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 have I ruined it now? Yeah. Is it gone? You'd be beautiful whatever you did. <laughs> triangles. So it is triangles it's after triangle. all. Yeah. Okay. No more questions. My goodness, we must have been so clear about everything. 
mystery resolved. Thank you, Jeff. Thanks for. Thank you. 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 Thank you